I'm Teffer. And I'm Eunice. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day, if you are also a settler, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. So this week, we have the great pleasure of being joined by Chris Walker. Chris Walker is currently a host for Nerdcraft Nation, a podcast dedicated to nerd content like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and anime. As well, he is a founding writer and editor for the digital magazine The Pub Square, formerly known as Rising Young Minds. The Boston native and former classmate of Eunice and myself is currently based in Seattle because, as he has said often, we live in a ponderosa why not change your life? Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I almost put down your favorite former classmate, but I was like, that's that's a little too much. Let's let's be let's be nice here. I think we can give you that. At least for today. All right, that's uh, fair. <laughs> I don't think any of our classmates listen to our podcast, so shame on them. Chris is not just our former classmate. Chris, Eunice, and I were part of the same class from grade 6 through grade 12. And not only were we in the same class for seven years, we also were in all of the same history classes together, including AP U.S. history and history of the civil rights movement. What a time. (laughs) It's very fitting uh, that today we're reading Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Jason Reynolds. This is Jason Reynolds' remix of Ibram X. Kendi's... uh, National Book Award winning Stamped from the Beginning. It's really, really, really excellent. I'm so glad you picked this for us to read. And I'm looking forward to our conversation about educating young people and how you should and should not do that. I had the exact same thought. (laughs) And before recording this, I was thinking, I was like, we were in that civil rights class together and we should talk about that. Me and Tepper were talking about that before, and I was like, "What? What a time to be alive!" Just like, <laughs> what? A, it was. I don't want to say it was like torturous at times, but I don't want to not say that also. <laughs> that was what? Well, that was granted. The teacher of that class was so, sometimes a little unhinged. Nah, no, nah, that's not. We we had worse teachers than him. Actually, let me be frank there. Look, that's not saying much. <laughs> Listen, a low bar is a bar you sometimes just have in order to have a standard set. Yeah, That's true. Of the standards, let's just say at the time, uh, I did not recognize some of the problematic elements of that class that as a adult, I would uh, take my child out of the class for. And as a younger person, I would just sit there and go, what? <laughs> so that was 2009, right? That was like 2008, 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, oh, fuck, 12 years ago. I just realized that I'm 30 when you said that. (laughs) Like wholeheartedly, I just went, oh, damn, I really am 30. 
Shit. So I was really glad that you chose this book for that reason, because I think it's going to be a really fun conversation with the three of us, but also because there's all these anti-racism books and texts that I have been wanting to read and um, that I don't read because I'm reading 10,000 books for the podcast. So it was really exciting to be like, okay, this is something I've been wanting to read (laughs) and now I have to read it. So I will. Um, And it is also somehow the first book by Jason Reynolds we've covered on the show. We've interviewed Brendan Kiley and we haven't like reviewed a book by Jason Reynolds. That's like kind of makes my brain explode a little bit until I think about how many books there are in the world. And then I just softly cry to myself. But I'm excited to start talking about Jason Reynolds. <laughs> I love that you both have not changed. <laughs> well, that makes me feel better about how genuine you guys are. <laughs> Yet again, not sure if I should take that as a compliment or not. <laughs> right. Nah, 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 I've always said this. I, I said this to you last summer, Teffer, that I've always found you very genuine, very thoughtful person and you know, um, you, you hold yourself to a high standard right now when you're talking about anti-racism. And I told you back then that I just had a belief that you would just turn around. Like you would see what was what, like how like damaging some of the stuff you were engaging in was, and you would just like shift it. And, you know, like sometimes you got to throw people that belief in themselves to just be like, you can do it. You can do it. And sometimes you just got to look at, sometimes you just got to yell at someone and you weren't someone that needed to be yelled at honestly like at sometimes yes but like like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie right now yeah. on rihanna's internet i'm not gonna lie on rihanna's internet <laughs> there are times that i yelled at tougher there are times that sure. eunice yelled at me and yeah. actually actually like i owe quite a lot to the times that eunice yelled at me because like i remember just being like well fuck if eunice is yelling at me like yo that was always the thing if eunice started yelling at you if eunice was ever mad at you you deserved it <laughs> like i could be mad at you but like i i was like an angry kid if eunice <laughs> was mad at you yo you, on god you messed up yeah it's true so this is going to be fun and i'm i'm very i'm very excited i've had a two week break from recording Thank God. And I had a GNT and it's Friday night. So, uh, you know, let's have some fun. Chris, you chose this book. Do you want to tell us why you chose this book? I chose this book because I also have not read much of Jason Reynolds's writing. And I, I don't really read YA novels commonly. I really read mainly uh, biographies, comic books, um, magazine articles, because those are Magazine articles directly are what I wanted to be in for so long. I wanted to be in magazine journalism. And it's equal parts that I actually genuinely wanted to read Reynolds and Kendi's writing. And equal parts that I got a free copy because my mother had bought 15 copies. Because my mother is probably going to replace me as a son with Reynolds at some point. So I'm just waiting for it. Shouts to my mom also. She is probably going to listen to this because she loves Eunice more than me. So you're going to get two siblings. You're going to get Jason Reynolds and Eunice. Yeah, I mean, two in addition to the three that I already have. So yeah, there you go. Big family. Family's just getting bigger every every second. At that point, you will have caught up with my family. So so yeah, so your mom has a, a storied history with Jason Reynolds. And um, you promised me that you would tell that story. So I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to ask you to tell that story. Yeah, so basically my mom is the, I think she's technically the dean now of the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences at Lesley University. She's worked in education 
uh, on and off for like maybe 20 to 30 years now. And she effectively has wanted Jason to be an adjunct or a full-time professor for years and years and years. She got him to speak at the graduation ceremonies for Leslie in 2018. And it basically, I think she, I read, when I say that I think she's going to replace me with this man, I, I'm fine with it. Like, it's all right. I have a lot of, I am Afro-Caribbean. I'm, my mother's from Trinidad. And so in a way, this just means that I have a lot of aunties that love me way, way, way too much in some people's eyes and just the right amount in other people's. So I'll have an auntie just take me into their home and raise me as their son from now on. But um, effectively, she succeeded in her goal because Reynolds, I think, is now an adjunct at this point. You guys should probably fact check that at Leslie. And she loves his writing. She loves just hearing him speak. He has spoken on multiple Zoom calls with her staff. He and I've heard a lot of the things that he said, and he's he's such an impressive guy and he's really, really snappy and really witty and funny. And just very thoughtful also. And that's really reflected in his writing. Like, this book is a remix. Like, he literally he literally went and took a book that was already there and went and not dumbed it down, but he, like, you think, no, 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 we're not going to uh, say that. Uh, I mean, it's really, like, he made it accessible to youth, right? And, like, engaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah made it accessible. That's a perfect way to put that. Yeah, he made it engage. He made it very thoughtful. I actually now want to read Kendi's original version of it. But I do not know if I will be able to get through it because I said this before that I have not read a full book from cover to cover since 2019. This is the first one I've done. And I think actually his writing style probably helps that out a lot because it is very engaging and like made more for the youth and get, just gets you there. And it's a great it uses a lot of AAVE, African-American vernacular English in like a very accessible way and. One thing that one issue that I thought I was going to have with this book, and I'm very happy I didn't that this didn't come up was I thought it was going to be more geared towards teaching white people what's wrong with them or teach teaching white people like what it's like to be black in society or teaching white people the history of blackness and things like that. And I never got that feeling from this. Like, I think that this book really is for everybody in every way, shape and form because it's very accessible, but it's also just very much this is not a history book in the sense that like you get one from school it's a history book in the sense of you want to you can learn this and you can actively engage with it a little bit more this isn't just words on the paper so you memorize and repeat it out it's words on a paper to think about um i can't believe i have like two degrees of separation from jason reynolds through you Nah, Sandra loves you like a daughter, Eunice. You literally have a degree of separation. One degree. Yeah, yeah. Don't lie to yourself. You want Sandra's number? I'll give it to you. <laughs> but actually, um, when I found out that Jason Reynolds was speaking at Leslie for, I think one of, I think it was a commencement, and then like was um, part of the faculty there, I was like, oh my goodness, so close to home. And maybe I should just like camp out and see if I can come across. Him. Honest to God, if you would hit me up, I would have just gotten you into the graduation. I snuck like a couple people who were going to that same graduation ceremony for their friend because they couldn't get the tickets. And I was like, listen, my mom, like, 
I'll give you the hookup. Don't worry. Don't worry. Chris, can you just admit that on the internet? <laughs> just putting your uh, yeah, that's fine. Your nepotism right out there. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Listen, I I very rarely use my connection to my mom ever. Uh, that is the only time I ever do. Oddly enough. Yeah, I think what you said about Jason Reynolds uh, remixing this book, I think, kind of captures it entirely. Where he just has a way of writing. And speaking, I've listened to a bunch of his stuff and like follow like his like even his Instagram interviews of other authors. Um, he just has a way of really understanding how to talk to kids and teens. I, I don't know where it comes from, but it's just fantastic. And he just really understands that uh, demographic so well. And it really comes across in his writing. And so that's what I really loved about this book it's a book that I wish I had in high school I wish that the teachers I had had read this book understood it and taught it and we're gonna probably get to how (laughs) we did not have this education (laughs) because we've been circling around it yeah it's it, it was a great book to listen to I'm always on my like soapbox of how like listen to books because that's kind of how I consume books these days. Um, But uh, Jason Reynolds like narrates it too. So um, it's a good one to listen to. Yeah. I'm gonna have to listen to a chapter. So let's dive right into the uh, the problem of education. Because, Chris, what you were saying before about the way this book is written, like, and reading it, I definitely, I also really appreciated that it's not written to teach white people. And, like, as a white person reading this book, I could see that. But I also really appreciated it because you, you learn more from, like, listening to people talk to each other than you do from, like, hearing people dumb things down for you, kind of. Or not, like, but, like, but like make it. And I also was thinking, like, I wish that this was the approach we had had. Uh, because you, I mean, we had a civil right history of the civil rights movement taught by an Italian-American guy who, like, sure, made the class exist, which is cool. From New Jersey. From New Jersey, yeah. And, and like, he was the one who said we should have this class, which is cool. But, like, at the same time, you know, there's always the issue of, okay, this class should exist, but are you the person to teach this class? Um, and, you know, when you're the dean of the school, you can decide that you're not the person to teach the class. They could have found, they could have found someone a little more qualified altogether. And, you know, the... The teacher, he was a noted history teacher in the Massachusetts education community. Like that's that is definitely a factor into why he was at the school and why he was um, teaching that class as well. But like the what's what's the word? The semantics of it all. Like I'll even add this little tidbit. I don't know if you I went to charter school, public school and then private school with you two for seven years. I went to private school with you two for seven years in all those um environments do you want to know how many black teachers i actually had two two and i think and for educational administrative figures uh added in i think it turns into maybe three four somewhere in that range literally it's it's kind of like it's just weird it's weird that like my that your educational history is so peppered with like many white faces effectively especially in boston which has a very um 
what what's the nicest way to put this very rich history of uh of racism that people don't really like to discuss and i can't think of everything off the top of my head but there i mean the busing and the narrative voice about that i can actually i can give you a really good pop culture example nobody talks about the fact that bobby brown is from boston but everybody knows that donnie Wahlberg is from boston and can point to where his house is so it's like little things like that and it's it's very weird narrative this is something that really struck me when i went to mcgill for university actually because when i went to mcgill there were other like kids from boston at mcgill other white kids from boston at mcgill and uh they were all from like arlington and lexington and it was it was super wild to me because talking with them it would just be like having gone to school in hyde park we just had such different experiences of boston despite like being white kids from Boston with all the problematic shit that comes with that. And it was just wild because, like, I remember them being like, oh, like, there's no problem with, like, with, like, poverty. There's no problem with, like, violence. Like, Boston is, is like, white and rich. And I would just be kind of like, are you, like, and then I'd be like, well, like, not really. And they'd be like, oh, sure, like, if you go to Dorchester. But, like, and I'd just be like, it's, it's, that's more a part of Boston than Lexington is. Like, you understand yeah. that? Like, <laughs> um, but it's wild. The, the segregation that persists in Boston. I get that entirely. I mean, there's the Spotlight article about the, the net worth of a black family is maybe, like, $6 as compared to a white family being in the thousands. There's, there's a lot of rich history. There's a lot of like reading on that. I can't remember everything off the top of my head, obviously, but it some of it is just like reinforced through practices. And that's how systemic racism works effectively. Like if we're being clear, like you go and you oppress people and you use every way possible to make sure that you cannot get out of oppression. One way that I describe being from Boston as a joke with some people, though, is that um, I'm from Bobby Brown, Boston. That person is from Marky Mark, Boston completely different things and yeah. like when we're talking about education too right education is specifically used to oh. kind of um continue that systemic oppression too right like think about who's in education and who um are the teachers you said like you only had a handful not even a handful of teachers who look like you i yeah. also had like a handful of teachers who look like me i literally was just about to ask you if you had any asian teachers at all other than, um, I can think of two that we had in high school, in middle school and high school. It, I think, like, that's when I actually saw, like, Asian teachers, right? But, like, yeah, honestly, like, growing up, I mean, I grew up in, like, suburbs of Boston, right? Like, so, like, even, like, that was, you know. And so, like, when you, th and, and, and I really wanted to go into education, like, that was a field that I wanted to study and, like, going and doing that in college, I also was met with a lot of like really racist, like pedagogy and like, and we had to teach this. And it was also on top of that, it was a lot of um, people wanting to teach in these like inner city schools and were taught like racist pedagogy to bring to those schools, right? And so like, yeah. so like, it's just like the system of like, it's continuing, right? Like you, you, and then you use that education. And so that's why like books like this, that kind of like help break that cycle and bring a different perspective and, um, and anti-racist perspective in, um, of history is just so important. 
Um, yeah. And so that's what I got out of kind of reading this book. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. I think that you have to teach a fuller picture of the world around you in order to better understand it. Because if you don't, because if you only see one side, then you don't understand that there's so many other perspectives and so many other sides. Especially, I'm, I'm trying to remember, someone once said that you know, history books are written by the victors and that I've never seen a more true statement. Yeah, so I think like with a book like this and... um like if we're talking about like what uh, YA can teach us, right? Um, it's books like this and authors like this that really do the work in trying to get kids to understand their own history. Like if in terms of if you're Black, um, you know, like in this country, like you are not seeing this type of um, like ideology taught in schools. I don't think I've ever even like, heard, like we talk about like racism, racism means like MLK day, right? Like that, that whole thing. Like when we talk about that civil rights class that we took, it's all yeah. about like, how did these like black people that we uh, like learn about, how did they um, like, as Abram X. Kendi says it in the book, it's um, the assimilationists, right? Like yeah. we're not taught anti-racism, we're taught like assimilation history and how important that is, it, it is to frame it in those ways. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's more degrees of this than just like black and white and um, you're either racist or not racist, like that kind of thing where it's like, there's a little bit more nuance and a reason as to why we've ended up a certain way. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that a really good way to actually organize that as well is that you're taught, we're all taught about Martin Luther King Jr., but we're not taught as much about Angela Davis and Malcolm X in school settings because, you know, February comes and it's just like, all right, I, Black History Month. Everybody, get out! Get out! I I have a dream speech right now. Let's go. Let's have a full round the room recitation line by line. Everybody, let's go. But nobody talks about like the biographies of uh, Malcolm X, which is a really powerful reading. I know from from my own like educational background, I was not just not taught about Malcolm X and Angela Davis. I was taught that they were bad. Like that was what I got yeah. from education. I got like, they were they were the bad black wow, people yeah. who did it the bad way. And these were the good black people who mm -hmm. did it the good, which is also fascinating because people also hated MLK when he was alive, but it was a lot easier yeah. to, to, to sort of, I guess, uh, uh, whiten up his image post-mortem <laughs> than somebody like Malcolm X. I mean, it's... It's really easy to do when you're not there. I was even going, still going to say, like, the government basically, like, had a hand in killing him. Like, there's literally a lawsuit that you can read about where um, I think his widow, like, sued the government at one point. I, I'm not the best resource on this right no, now. I, but um, I think No, no, no. But it I is really a thing. And you can well, read yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot to write that down <laughs> in my notes. If anything, like, yeah, the FBI was, like, had case files on him for sure. Yeah. Um, when he started, like, especially, like, talking about Vietnam, like, that whole thing. Yeah. Like, all of that, like, that gets whitewashed, right? Um, yeah. in, 
and like you said, it's easy because he's not here to talk about that, right? And and yeah, like the ways that like when like MLK Day rolls around, it's just like the piecemeal pieces of his like speeches are like taken out of context and like and then we don't remember like yeah he was assassinated because people didn't like what he had to say yeah and like what he had to say was like milk toast compared to mlx being like we have to take back our communities and we have to build them up on our own and like make sure that people are never able to mess with us and we have to protect ourselves i and I just sit there and I always go, and you guys killed MLK? Wow. You, y'all you are crazy. Exactly. And then, like, we have Angela Davis and, like, her, like, socialist ideas and, like, and how they just, like, don't fit with the, like, narrative that, like, white America, like, tells you, right? Like, it's, like, the, like, she was fighting against capitalism and she was, like, she had, like, a whole, you know, it was and like that it doesn't fit into this like black and white history that we're taught and like we're not allowed to have nuance and like that's why like they're even like Tepper was saying villainized in the history books yeah um going on what you were just saying about things not fitting with the narrative right I was really struck by how well that narrative is established from the very beginning. And there's a quote I wrote down from page 76 about Thomas Jefferson um, and talking about John Thomas Jefferson's idealization of just sending black people back to Africa. That Jefferson basically believed that sending black people back to where they came from, heavy scare quotes around that, would make America what it was always meant to be in his eyes, a playground for rich white Christians. And that's like, that's right at the beginning, right? And um, that might be uh, even more prominent in Kendi's book. I haven't read it. But that just, I mean, that should strike all of us, I think, looking back at the past, uh, I was going to say four years, but really forever, just what are American ideals. And this is something like I've been <laughs> seeing a lot of articles this week of people going like, like these big like fear mongering titles of like the world is going to go to shit after the pandemic. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I click click the article and it's like, because America isn't going to beat China. And I'm just like, (laughs) like people might have rights. And like, you know what? I don't think that we can just step on poor people anymore after the pandemic. And everything we know will be changed. And I'm just like, all right, sign me the fuck up. (laughs) But it's really this this idea of, like, American, the most important thing in the world, the thing history has been building towards, is for America to be a place where white Christian men can do, and women, let's be frank, can do whatever the fuck they want. And, and, and the minute anybody challenges that, you get the paranoia, you get the fear, and everything just kind of all falls apart. But I, I just, I loved seeing that set up right at the beginning. And like then, I mean, the other part that I appreciated so much that's near the end is talking about Reaganomics and talking about Reagan, because I also like never, never heard Reagan maligned, right? Like we grew up in like, like just say no, right? We grew up in the dare generation and, and seeing that just getting punctured was, was so significant for me. I mean, you... I, I would say that I grew up knowing that Reagan was evil, but like I also like my grandparents 
actively hated Reagan because they came to the U.S. My grandmother and grandfather came from Grenada to the U.S. around that time, around, I think, in between Reagan, Nixon and Reagan, and literally, like, went to Queens, set up everything, and they just, like, they saw what was going on out there, and they were just like, this is not, this is not how you fix this whatsoever. I mean, like you said, like, I think if you're living a different reality, then you definitely know, like, this, some of what's going on. And, like, I think that, like, America just does a good job of gaslighting people, you know, like, into, into being like, this actually isn't the history. So, like, if you're experiencing a different reality, like, maybe there's something wrong with you, right? And, like, and if schools are not teaching that, like, then, then you're like left with this kind of like this is the American narrative, and then like, exactly. but clearly like black people, brown people are experiencing a different kind of reality. And when those two things don't line up, that's why you get like white people being like, um, like what? Like America's not been like this. Like this is where the fear comes in. And like yeah. I think, like even like to this day, like everyone like talk everyone says like things like this is not the america we know like this is not like let like or let's get back to the america that we like you know like that whole line of thinking is because like our education system just like completely erases yeah it erases the there's a grand erasure of non-white people just throughout history. And honestly, Eunice, to what you just said, you know what I say when people say this is not the America that I know? That's the America that I know, though. That's the America that I was raised in. Like, I can tell you so many stories about being late to school when we were in high school because I would get stopped going to Forest Hills by the cops for, like, a random search. And I'm like, bruh, you just saw me get off this bus to go switch to the other bus because I'm going to now be late for school. I remember one time I was late straight up because of that. And I came in and I and it was a late start day and I was getting made fun of for it. And I'm like, y'all are crazy. And I explained the entire thing and they're like, nah, that's bull. And I'm like, mm, no, no, this is this is like a consistent week to week thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like for an institution like our high school that was trying to like serve <laughs> <laughs> like inner city like I know what also, you're about in, to say. Also, also in the name of jesus like you know <laughs> a sit a school on a hill for a city on the hill with all the talks of excellence and like you know academics integrity. and athletics and whatever like integrity yeah like like <laughs> just the blind <laughs> just the absolute blindness to the fact that like you willingful blindness or yeah yeah you're right yeah like just the not knowing the experiences of like the kids that you're teaching the kids that you're like trying to take care of the kids that like or coming in to like the school and like being penalized for something like lateness because of a police stop like that is damaging and like that is something that like kind of like a legacy for so I I don't know if like this was different from your different school experiences Chris like growing up like I'm sure you've been 
I, yeah. I don't know if that's like or like I don't no. know if I don't know if like our high school or middle high school was like especially bad at doing that because I could see that happening. I would say that they were the middle ground like the the school. I, so I got thrown out of charter school because I used to fight kids. I had a lot of anger issues and I got thrown out of charter school and like I want to say in fourth grade and then halfway through fourth grade into fifth grade is when I went to uh, public school. And then from sixth grade on is when I went to private school. And I would say that that was in the middle. I, I like looking back, my mom even says I shouldn't have been thrown out of charter school. Like the, you got to have a little more nuance to what was going on there. But like the public school I went to was literally up the street from where our school is now, from where uh, we went to high school now. And the the teachers there were actually a lot better. The principal there is black, and he seriously was like a he was a good dude. I got to give him a lot of respect for that because he always tried to understand the kids. But and he always gave us a certain amount of I want to say leeway because he understood the households that a lot of kids came from were just not like standard and but like also just you know yeah you got to have nuanced situations. And if you aren't willing to show that, then you fall off the wayside. I would say that our high school. By the time we were in high school, like some certain teachers had the nuance to give you like a certain amount of rope and other teachers were, um, how do I put this? Dum-dums? I'll, I'll put dum-dums. Yeah, I'll put dum-dums. I, I'm being very nice by not, you know what? Actually, I'll tell the, I'll say one story. Um, legitimately, we had an athletic director who on multiple occasions would ask young black men why they weren't as good at athletics in different ways much more coded than how I just said it. We were talking about assimilationism, right? Like it was it was the whole pedagogy was catering to people's white savior complexes. The whole pedagogy was assimilation. It was it was let's take inner city black Bostonians and make them nice white evangelical kids. And that that is the whole problem this book is addressing, right? That's like, I mean, it's not the whole problem, but like it's 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 it challenges that in a big way. And it's interesting. I mean, like <laughs> obviously, I was, you know, a white kid going to the school, not a rich white kid going to the school, but a, a white kid from a uh, very academic white waspy background going to the school because my parents didn't want to send me to public school with the wrong kind of inner city kids, right? Mm. It was it was oh, you can have this experience of diversity and this experience of like enriching, which comes from right that waspy waspy background of my ancestors who owned a lot of people back in the day, but like not the wrong kind, like not the kind of people who are gonna, you know, God forbid I should assimilate, right? <laughs> um, and it's it's really like I can't I can't see that pedagogy as anything but a tool of white supremacy. Like, despite there being some teachers who were good people who mostly didn't last very long, just, ugh. like, I don't think this book would have been taught. I think one is still there. Yeah. Yeah, literally one. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't think this book would have been taught at all. Yeah. And I, 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 just, I also just think about, like, the lack of training coupled with the fact that they were, like, now older than I. I am now, right? Like a lot of them are really young and just knowing like what I know, like, and like my experience and like just looking back on it as an adult, I'm just like, yeah, like how would they have known to do that? And like, why is it that like these, like these opportunities like this, like 
like exist for these teachers to teach in this way <laughs> um like you know and just like thinking about like harm and thinking about like yeah just like how education is like used as this tool to continue like oppression and colonization and and yeah so like of course we wouldn't have been taught any of this stuff yeah i mean education is a great tool of oppressors this year has been like the year i've probably engaged the most with thinking about pedagogy because of the pandemic and because i have kids so like seeing i've been paying a lot of attention to the way schools handle the pandemic and what they do and do not do in quebec the really 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 big push has been to keep schools open at all costs which is not um a choice i agree with but it's been really interesting to me to kind of have my faith in institutionalized education just just completely get picked apart and just see all the ways in which like institutional education exists to exert power and to to form citizens right and you have to find the question of what citizen are you trying to mold here because like i i don't know coming at it from a, a from a my perspective like I see like okay we have a year where there's a global pandemic maybe we can give the kids a fucking break and like hang out and not be productive and play games and support each other and be really really flexible and everybody passes but it's like no the kids have to keep up so I've been thinking a lot about schools as a tool of capitalist oppression, of course, because they are, because schools exist to teach kids how to be capitalists um, or, or not capitalists, how to be capitalist drones. Um, and so just just like having reading this book now and being like, OK, the ideology just like, can we rehabilitate education? Like, is early education something that can be rehabilitated at all at this point? Or do we just need to like... I don't know, burn it all down. <laughs> oh, that's a really good question. That's a really good point. I mean, that's like the conversation we're having about like police, right? And policing. Like, yeah. is it a thing that can be rehabilitated if it's a tool of white supremacy? Like, and that's the like conversation of why people are, you know, like saying abolition, right? Like, yeah. It's like, can you actually reform something that is just a tool for oppression and trying to remember how to say this um more directly also like how can you reform a tool that is working uh, towards its intended result in a way because you know i'm trying to figure out how to say this but policing isn't functionally broken it's working to its best result like the issue is more or less that policing really just needs to be wholeheartedly reformed because i'll go back to the reagan example like uh you had if you had a crack rock on you you got five years but for this but if you had a brick of cocaine on you you got the same amount of time brick of powder cocaine on you and the interesting thing is powder cocaine is used mostly by white americans at that time crack cocaine is used by more black and minorities and crack cocaine is like tiny a brick of cocaine is basically like as big as my arm and weighs a lot like and guess where the more police are in the black community? If you're in a white community and you see a cop, that's because you called them there and they're going to get there in like five minutes. If you live in my neighborhood, if you live where my mama lives, you're calling a cop there. The cop might get there tomorrow. 
Unless they unless they think there's drugs involved, then they're running over there. That's why these kids are out here saying defund the police. Yeah. I mean, it's me. I'm kids. Um, I mean, like I'm reading this book and I'm like, well, it's educational. And I'm like, I don't know if it's educational. Right. Like like because because I don't know. Well, like it's educational in that it teaches you things. I see your face like it's educational. It is teaching you things. But like. I hope that this book is being added to curriculums. I expect it is being added to some curriculums. I'm pretty damn sure it's not being added to the curriculums it needs to be added to because it challenges so much of what, not just America, I mean, I'm, I'm in Canada, like, and we have the same racism, frankly. It challenges, like, what these societies are built on what the the hub of societal power is what i'm saying is get this into the hands of as many kids as possible (laughs) agreed i'm actually probably going to send this for my younger cousin to read when he gets some time because he is currently like trying to get ready for like starting to apply to colleges my younger cousin jordan he's i think when we were in school like he was basically born when we were in seventh grade he was like the baby that i would just bring around with me whenever we would have like big like school family events yeah he he's gonna be in college next in the fall 2022 and he's like i always just worry about him but he's he's such a great kid but he would probably love this book he loves his history classes so i think he'd enjoy it or i'll make my mom buy him one who knows (laughs) yeah i'm sure she will She probably has an extra copy she probably has like an extra copy laying around Right. She's already bought 15. So what's one more? What's another like five? Uh, Yeah, no, um, I'm actually excited because they're releasing a uh, kids edition. So like this is like the young readers as in like for kind of for like teens, but like there's a new one coming out that I'm really excited to see like how because like after reading this, I want to know how they adapt it for um, even younger kids. Yeah. Yeah. Also like really important do you know the details on that because like i'm gonna buy that i don't know but it has a yellow cover and (laughs) it looks really cool okay (laughs) that's the i like i only know books by their covers like i literally just don't know have any other information (laughs) that's fair that's how i buy some of my books Eunice, aren't you a librarian (laughs) what no hey actually actually um why you Actually, identify, identifying <laughs> things by covers is a great way to be a librarian. Just, <laughs> just so you know that like when somebody comes in and it's like, I want yeah. this book and it's blue, you know? I believe that, honestly. My library that I haven't been to in ages at one point had a display that was just, I don't remember what it's called, but it's blue and had just a bunch of books with blue covers. Yep. It's a thing. At some point next week, I'm going to go to the Seattle Public Library. I love the Seattle Public Library. It's one of my favorite places on earth. I'm literally going to go up the street. There's one. Um, I live like right near Pike Place Market, and I'm literally going to go run over there. Actually, probably next week. I got a couple of days that I have to fill my mornings on with something to do, and I'm probably going to go and get a library card soon. So I really enjoyed this book, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing the children's version. I didn't know that that was a thing. But I'm also going to probably buy the original version, the non-remixed version. And uh, I'm just thankful that I had an excuse to read the book. Truthfully, Jason Reynolds is an incredibly impressive writer. And Kendi, Kendi now teaches at BU and runs the Anti-Racism Center. And I'm actually very mad that I was not 
that I'm not a student there. So I encourage all students at BU right now to take a class or just go to any of his speakings. I think he does, he's been doing like a lot of Zoom Zoom talks. And every time that I tried to get on one because someone's like cousin, sister, brother, like has a link, uh, I get blocked out. So uh, be you. Let's let's maybe make that a little bit accessible for your alumni. Let's like uh, let's help help a brother out. Help a brother out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I enjoyed this one so much. We'll be talking about it a lot. And we'll probably also buy the original now that I'm not doing episodes every week anymore. Cool. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually. I'm at TefferBear. Uh, I can be found at CWLKR20 on Twitter and Instagram, and Nerdcraft Nation can be followed at Nerdcraft Nation, all one word. And I'm at The Unicorn Reads a Book. That's unicorn with the E on Instagram. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout outs, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Erica, Catherine, Kat, Lizzie, Chantal, Maddie, Megan, Emily, and Emmett. We love you. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, by subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe, you know, literally anybody. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian. Hey, that's me! And edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. Dungeons. Dragons. Canada. The Multiverse Theory. Corgis. Queer representation. Reconciliation. Angels. Demons. Squirrels. Moose. Moose and squirrels. Sorcerers. Dinosaurs. Barbarians. Forests. Giants. Rogues. Warlocks. Plains. Sewers. Lavender. Natural Toonie. A Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Right here on the Upford Network. Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. Previous guests have included a Reiki healer, the heir to the Redenbacher popcorn throne, the person definitely not responsible for the murder hornet outbreak, and Jack Nicholson. Comes out Mondays, early in the morning. Check it out, and you might laugh.